You are listening to the Enormo Cast. Hey, folks. You know, there's only two things in this world that scare me. One is prepubescent gym rats warming up on my project in front of me. You know, pad sniffers, smell like Skittles, small hands. And the other thing that scares me, lawyers. But Dan Markoff is here to help. Climber, lawyer, Enormacast fan, and partner at Atkins and Markoff, Dan has set up an email hotline to field your inquiries about any type of lawyer you might need. Email climbinglawyer at gmail.com with inquiries. Dan knows this shit scares you too. All right, on to the show. We gotta get Listen, uh, uh, where are you playing in town? Are you playing here? We're doing the, uh, the Normo Dome, whatever it is. It's terrific. Oh, it's yeah, big place. That's, out. Out That's a big nice. place. You sold oh, it out. I'll see. We really should. The hell are you doing? I couldn't sleep. I'm checking the ropes. I was afraid to end on your hope, and I'm cutting it out. Today's show is brought to you by Black Diamond Equipment, with support from Maxim Ropes. And now back to the show. Another year has come and gone And we're still together here With a love so very strong So while we're celebrating like this We'll take a toast to the year Cause if anyone deserves to stay together out of there, we should be one. Happy anniversary. Oh yeah, welcome to episode 48 of the Enormal Cast. It is December 16th, 2013. This is your host, Chris Caloose. And that's right, that's right, people. The smooth sounds of the Enormal Cast first came across the airwaves two years ago, 2011. Two episodes every month since then. That's right. Two episodes for your listening pleasure. Just kick back for a minute and think of all the memories. All the beers drank. All the tears shed. So happy anniversary, Enormo Nation. I love you all. Each and every one of you. Happy anniversary, 
That was nice, wasn't it? A little celebration. Okay, on today's show, UK climber, the lovely, charming, talented, bold, and resolute Hazel Finlay. Hazel stormed out of the UK in the last few years, climbing big routes and bold routes all over the globe. And uh, a film about her, Spice Girl, premiered in the Real Rock Tour this year. So a lot of people have come to get to know this young woman. And uh, she agreed to sit down on the show, which I'm really excited about. So to celebrate the first British climber on the Norma cast, as well as our two-year anniversary, we've cut a deal with a company over in the UK for my tens of UK listeners, for all you guys who are all probably sitting in one room right now together. But anyway, this is for you across the pond, our former colonial overlords, A couple of dudes in London have started a company called Overhang Limited, and through their website, overhangclimbing.com, they offer gear, they offer trips, they offer classes, they set up lectures, and all sorts of things around London and based out of London, and if you check out their website and find something you'd like, if you enter the code ENORMO10 at checkout, you can get 10% off just about anything they're offering, which could be fairly substantial in terms of going on one of their trips or something like that. They've got a few things coming up in the next month, mainly looking at a Kalimnos trip I saw on their website on the 5th of January. And I can't imagine why you wouldn't want to leave the lovely British Isles for Kalimnos in January. I mean, seems like a no-brainer. Also, they've got a lecture coming up from some cat named Eric Jones, who I'm not sure who that is. Although based on the description on the webpage, he seems like a stone cold OG in the American parlance. That's coming up on January 20th. Anyway, go over and check out overhangclimbing.com. Type in Enormo 10 at checkout and get a discount for the Enormo fans in the UK. All 12 of you. All right. As long as you get on the internet to order shit, don't forget that you can order t-shirts at adiac.com. You can order Defiant Bean Coffee, actually at bonfirecoffee.com, although I think defiantbean.com still works, or defiantbeanroasters.com, any of those .coms. Just put .com in there. I'm sure it'll get to you. Enter Enormo at checkout for a discount on coffee. Those make nice stocking stuffers, either one of those things, and it's not too late. If you get this and get on the web right away, or something. All right, onto the show. Hazel Finlay, aka Hammy the Hamster, aka the Gummy Bear, caught live in the mobile studio. So I am sitting in the mobile studio in Moab, Utah, a very snowy Moab, Utah with Hazel Finlay. Hazel, how's it going? Good, thanks. Cool. First thing I want to do is apologize for the weather because we've got, it's Moab in November and we've got about four inches of snow on the ground, very wet yeah. snow. It's like England. Yeah. It doesn't snow like this there, does it? Uh, f- it has done the f- last few years, actually. And this winter's going to be really bad for snow. Oh, really? Yeah, so... I'm a bit upset. I didn't come to the desert 
for uh, the snow. Yeah, that's true. Well, I, sh- I probably should apologize because it is the it is the United States government that controls the weather. So through the uh, the chemtrails out of the airplanes, mm-hmm. did you know that? Yeah, I knew yeah. that. So anyway, on behalf of us, I do apologize. Um, so Hazel is a climber. If you haven't heard of her, don't know who she is from uh, the UK. If you didn't notice her accent, and I want to start actually with that because a couple episodes ago I claimed to not really understand the geography, the politic, geopolitical nature of uh, the quote-unquote UK. So I want to start with this. I have four words, and I would like you to sort of compare and contrast these and, and, and tell me what they all mean, okay? The United Kingdom, Great Britain, Britain, and England. So like when we had colonies and we were like Great Britain. Okay. Um, but the United Kingdom is now like the modern term for England, Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland, not the rest of Ireland. Okay. Which is its own country. Gotcha. And England's just a country, just like they're all countries. So is, is United Kingdom in, in England... Um, not synonymous. No. England's just part... Yeah, just like, like Wales and Scotland. And, okay, and, and it's like kind of the big southern part of the island. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Wales is the bit on the east. Scotland is in the north. And Ireland's an island. Okay. And Northern Ireland is part of the United Kingdom, yeah. but the other part of Ireland yeah. is not. I, I was pretty clear on that. The only thing I wasn't clear on was on the nor- the Ireland part yeah. of it. Yeah. Okay. My history is not amazing with it either, so. Okay, cool. All right, thanks. Because I have fans in both both places. The Normacast does. So um, I probably insulted them all. Uh, Okay. When I was, Why were you talking about it? Um, because I was doing listener mail, and um, I had a listener mail from the UK. We just put everybody to sleep with our <laughs> geography lesson, so let's, let's... You can edit it out. No, that's fine. <laughs> no, I needed to get it straightened out, because I, I was pretty clear on the Wales, England, uh, Scotland yeah, thing. that's confusing. Yeah. It's anyway, confusing. so you're climbing down here in Indian Creek for the last few weeks? Yep. What, what have you been up to? Climbing desert cracks. Yeah. It's been fun, yeah. I'm not like a massive fan of the the splitters. <laughs> <laughs> what? So you what? You've been on like Air Sweden that kind of thing. Um, I actually did Air Sweden when I was here, like three years oh, ago, okay. or whatever it was. But yeah, I'm kind of I prefer the 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 varied splitters uh-huh. and the like the funkier ones. Um, but no, I do like the splitters as well. I just find that if you climb only splitters, then it gets a bit samey. Right. Yeah, I know. I've felt that way for years, but I still keep coming back. <laughs> and then I was reading on your blog that, that you've turned up this year. Kind of, You were talking about being sort of partnerless, coming to Yosemite, maybe not on such a mission. So what's that been like, just kind of cruising around, being being more of a of a mobile climber? I think it's, it's usually a lot more fun when you just have a partner. Um, but it's kind of cool as well because you end up doing loads of stuff you wouldn't have necessarily done because like you just yeah okay i'll go climb with you we'll do this and that might that route that they suggested might not have been on your radar or whatever so you end up doing some stuff fun stuff i think but it's quite hard to find partners you know as you get better as a climber and you're a bit pickier about what you want to do it's actually quite difficult to find partners so um yeah it can be frustrating a little bit and were you were you there for the lockout no, it was actually perfect. Um, I actually flew into America the day that the valley got reopened. Oh, okay. 
So it worked fine for me. Good, good. And what did you? Uh, what kind of stuff did you accomplish? Did you get anything done? Yeah, it was good. Um, me and James Lucas did Freerider, which was really fun. It's sort of like meant to be the easiest way up hell cap. Mm-hmm. And um, it's definitely not as hard as the other two free routes I've done on El Cap, but um, it was still felt hard. Mm-hmm. It's just like, I think freeing El Cap's just hard right. in my book. It's just it's just there's so much of it, and so much of the climbing, the easier climbing is really burly. So like five tens, five elevens just get you tired. Or well, there's a lot of tired. squeezing. Yeah. A lot of squeezing on those. Wide stuff. Right, those yeah. old routes. I mean, that pretty much is the South Day Wall. Um, you know, with some, some variations and, and back in, you know, back in the day when they looked up at El Cap, they were looking for big wide things to climb. That was like the style. Awesome. Well, let, let me, uh, cruise back here. You're, you're a British climber from England, from UK, from all those places. You're the first person I've had on the show that, that is from there. So I kind of wanted to talk to you a little bit about like getting into climbing in Great Britain, um, the British climbing scene, because, for me, and I realize historically that I think British climbing influenced American climbing more than anything else. You know, when we, we look at, let's say, the relationship of our climbing style here in the States to to Europe, you know, sport climbing came really late to the States, maybe not quite as late as, as in, uh, in the UK, but um, we've always, I think, taken our sort of our cues from, from what went on over there. In terms of even back in the day, like Joe Brown, the no piton clean climbing thing caught on in the 70s in yeah. the States and uh, and in Canada as well. So you guys have like this storied climbing history that I think a lot of climate climbers in the, in the United States sort of owe their, their, their credentials to. But at the same time, you know, in the modern age, we get these little smattering of videos out of there of all this grit stone stuff and... You know, that hard grit video made a big impression yeah. on a lot of people a few years ago. So as you're coming up in, in UK climbing and you're like a little kid, you started climbing with your dad? I mean, I like owe everything to my dad, really, you know, climbing wise. He was so keen on us as when we were kids, um, keen on having it. wasn't even about climbing half the time. It was just about being outside and um having adventures so yeah it was fun he's like shaped me in that way you know i'm still like keen on adventures and getting outside so when you said we do you have brothers and sisters Mm -hmm. i have a brother yeah and he's a climber as well no he's not a climber anymore no but as kids we we would climb together Mm -hmm. when i think of of climbing over there at least all we ever hear about is sort of the tradition and and whenever we see media coming out of out of the UK, it's almost always like scary routes. Yeah. Like that's what it's known for. In terms of getting into climbing, I mean, can you get into climbing like everybody else does without going out there and risking your neck? Yeah, I mean, you have to remember it's like, you know, it's like with any form of media or news or anything, like you only see like small snippets. Mm-hmm. And what you see, those small snippets are like the most exciting things, the most rad things. And, um, so much of the climbing in the UK isn't like that at all. It's like it's like everywhere else. It's there's loads of moderate routes that are really safe and but it is true though that I think 
that if you grow up in the UK and that you do go through the grades, like your skill set has to be a lot bigger than if you like grew up climbing in Yosemite mm-hmm. and you went through the trad grades or Indian Creek or something. Like you can just get away with being able to place camps. In the UK, like some of the moderate grade routes, you have to run it out. You have to place weird RPs. In order to climb safely, I think your skill set has to be a lot bigger. So I think it's kind of a, it's good, you know. If you grow up in the UK, you like, it shapes you into a certain climber. Where specifically did you uh, start climbing? Well, like when I was a kid, my dad lived in Bristol, which is in the southwest. Mm-hmm. And um, the best place near to Bristol is probably Pembroke, if you try climber. And that's like um, limestone sea cliffs. And it's, it's an amazing place. I still love it. It's just like miles and miles of coastline. Um, the cliffs are between like 20 and 50 meters, mm-hmm. sometimes maybe a bit taller. And it's just, yeah, it's just a limestone coastline for miles. And um, a lot of the rock is really good. Some of it's not as good. A lot of it is mostly protected by wires, so you have to be good at placing wires. Um, do you say wires or do you say nuts? Uh, I think we mostly say nuts. We don't really say wires. Okay, nuts, yeah. Whatever. (laughs) And it's it's a really cool place. Like you have to, you have to abseil or rappel into the uh, into the roots Mm -hmm. and then climb out. And the sea is like crashing right beneath you. And um, yeah, it's really cool. And that's the place uh, that you're climbing with your dad in uh, in Spice Girl. No, it's not the place. Oh, it isn't. No, that's um, further south in Devon. That's on Devonshire sea cliffs which are more chossy usually it's like even maybe even a bit more adventurous down there so if you grew up and started learning from your dad and climbing mostly with him like what did the transition look like for you and at what age did you kind of break out and start climbing with uh with other people and and getting into the climbing scene did that happen really initially or or was there sort of a time that you kind of were under your dad's wing and then and then started climbing with a bunch of other people um, I think when I was a teenager, it's it sort of a bit difficult to look back on now, um, because it's kind of jumbled, but, um, I think, you know, like, even though it's great climbing with my dad, and I learned so much and all the rest of it, um, when you're, like, 14 to 18 or whatever, you just want to hang out with your mates, really, mm-hmm. and so there was, like, a time when, actually, I didn't really try climb that much when I was about 15 or something. And I, like, did a lot of competing because that's just what my friends were doing. My friends were climbing inside and going and doing the competitions. Sure. And so that was just what was more fun because I wanted to hang out with people my own age. But then I never really got into the competitions that much. I would get injured and it just wasn't ever, like, that much fun. So that's when I found friends. Like, I had my first boyfriend... Um, was really into track climbing in the UK and I suppose when I started climbing with him and his friends and found friends of my own when I was probably 18 Mm -hmm. that's when it became more my own thing I think the big change was um, when I took my first big fall on a trad route oh yeah it was like describe that it was this E5 which is like it's probably like 12A trad route Mm -hmm. and um we're going to do a whole separate hour on, on you explaining British grades. Okay. So we'll get to that later. 
is if we can get it done in an hour, I'm not sure, but we'll we'll do that later. Okay, so this would probably get like twelve A or eleven D R potentially. Okay. okay. It's not really that run out with a gears kind of fiddly and weird, so okay. I don't know. Got it. It would be like that. And I took like massive falls off it and was like trying. I was like at my limit, really pumped for taking falls on it. And I think that's like that was like a big turning point because I realized that you don't have to climb inside or climb on bolts to try your hardest. Mm-hmm. You can do that on trad as well. Mm-hmm. And that's when I sort of knew that like I wanted to pursue trad more mm-hmm. than anything. And um, and then I just started like going around like trying routes that were hard for me and i like said to myself you know if you haven't fallen off in a while then you're not trying hard enough and okay it was i was like pushing myself quite a bit and that was it was really cool yeah but this was all on-site climbing i didn't like red point anything until i actually until i traveled and realized that people did actually red point trad routes well i was gonna <laughs> actually ask or maybe start a little aside for a minute about that because you know, we keep throwing this word around trad, and and it's become, in my lifetime in climbing, like it's it's a relatively new word, because there was just climbing at one point, and then we have now we have this word trad or traditional. Yeah. And the interesting thing to me is is that what I was saying earlier about British climbing influencing American climbing is that, in my mind, when we even still use the word traditional climbing, for me, it basically is what was started in Britain, this idea of, of at least back in the day, back in the seventies and sixties of not, you know, not doing routes over and over again, onsite climbing, ground up, all those sorts of things. So that was still like something that, that you were, were dealing with. And this is, how old are you right now? 24. Yeah. So we're talking about only like a few years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you hadn't even, it hadn't necessarily occurred to you to, to red point routes yet. Yeah, because I mean, my dad's like, he cl- he's climbed since he was 20, and now he's 50, he's almost 60, 60 next year. And he hasn't really, he's never head pointed anything, he's mm-hmm. never top roped anything, and then done it later. And he doesn't, he has never even really red point climbed, he just only on site climbed. And so when you grow up with your mentor or, you know, the, the person that you learn the most from, only on sighting that's just what you do too but i think it gets to a point where like you can't really get any better if you're only on site climbing Mm -hmm. so like i'd go sport climbing a bit like go to spain sometimes but it wasn't until i like went traveling and like went to canada and um saw how other people were climbing and they just didn't take it so seriously right it wasn't like oh god it's bad to top rope something before you lead it it's just like man we're just gonna do whatever's most fun if we want to try and climb our hardest routes and it's easier to top rope them first, then that's just what we'll do. And so like, I was like starting to form my own ideas about how I wanted to climb and why, my, what my ethics were, if I had any. Sure. And, um, and that's just what you get from traveling and visiting different places and meeting different people. And now I don't, I don't really care that much either way. Right. Well, <laughs> You know, it's interesting you say that because, again, I have all these images of of what the climbing scene is over there, just the reading and all the years of kind of watching history and all that sort of thing. And that's always my impression is that of all the places left in the world, like it's taken the most seriously there. Yeah. Um, This idea of of traditional ground up climbing. There's pockets here in the States. 
and within those pockets there's people um but you know it's like a very it's becoming a very narrow group of people who are you know these strict fundamentalists in mm-hmm. terms of, of terms of how to approach roots so it's interesting to hear you say that like that that's still i mean it still seems to be the bastion of these sorts of ethics over there in a lot of places yeah i think so like you meet some guys on the grit that they go out climbing on the grit every day and they've been doing that for 30 years and they haven't they still haven't top roped anything right I mean, that's astounding. Like, that yeah. is so radical. Because yeah. because logistically speaking, I mean, those cliffs are, are tiny. Yeah, they're, they're smaller than the buttermilk bowl. Right, boulders. and so it's like most people would walk up and be like, this is the perfect place to top rope. Like, look, I can just walk up there in like 45 seconds and drop a yeah. rope down. Yeah. And yet these guys have these this like ethic that, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know, it's almost like they're... De- they must have this like mental control just to deny themselves like yeah, this it's free weird. easy way it's of like, doing things. It's almost like self-flagellation or right. something. It's like yeah, it's uh, it's interesting, but it's just it's each, it's each to your own, you know. Mm. Like I I think if I put so much on myself, so many like constrictions and then maybe I wouldn't find climbing as fun. But I also admire them a little bit as well because oh, sure. it's just like they're yeah they're standing true to an idea. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just I just don't endorse the idea as much as they do. Well, I think I mean most of the people I've known who've gone over there to climb have arrived in a place like that. Let's say the grit stone, and you know they then realize that okay. I may not have to go as far as these guys, but I'm going to adopt some of this stuff because I'm here in this area and that's what the tradition is. And I think the the thing that has always irked me is that, you know, not understanding that you can, you can do both. I mean, when you go to the grit, you're going to say to yourself, All right, I'm going to try to embrace this style here, but that doesn't mean I have to take it with me to, to rifle or somewhere that's completely <laughs> yeah. on the other end of the spectrum. Yeah. And you know what I mean? Like, I like that feeling of, you know, going to a place and going, okay, how how do the people do it here? I'm gonna mm-hmm. I'm gonna embrace some of that. Yeah. You know, without feeling like, okay, that has to be the way shit's done everywhere in the world. And yeah, that con- yeah. that conservative attitude, I mean, it's just is a really I don't understand it necessarily from a kind of adult perspective of like, well, you know, there's so many other ways in which we we cross cultures and things like that. And for some reason, climbers, some climbers can't seem to allow other people to do that. Like, you know, yeah. I mean, obviously dropping bolts in the cliff or whatever is a permanent change that, that can be debated, but what you do on a personal level, it doesn't affect everybody else is is your deal. It's fine. Yeah. Uh, Well, let me ask, ask you about this then along those lines, because I like to talk about uh, sort of gender politics a lot on this show. Um, I personally find it, Fascinating in all parts of life, but since climbing is such this always been such this guy centric thing, um, and I think you inhabit this world where it's not like you ha- must have a million other girls that you were you were climbing on these horribly hard, scary routes with. So, can you sort of tell me what it was like? You're, you you sound like you entered this thing again as as an eighteen year old with a with a guy who was climbing on trad. But as you sort of emerged as your own trad climber, you know, what was that like to be entering into this world of scary climbing where you must have been, you know, in the way minority? 
I don't know. I guess people ask me that quite a lot, and mm-hmm. it's just no. I, I'm, I'm original. I'm the first guy to talk about <laughs> this. <laughs> Even though I, I consider myself like a reasonably thoughtful person, mm-hmm. it's not something you think about like because you, every day you just go, go climbing. You know, it's like if someone asks you, "Oh, do you want to come climbing today?" and it's just a group of men, like it would be really weird for you not to be used to that as like the the default this is what's happening today when i was younger and i used to go to the climbing wall and when i was like 13 i'd go on my own and it would be a climbing wall full of men and we'd all climb together and i had to like stand my ground and like take shit from them and you know you just get used to it it's like that's just how it is sure (laughs) I think that was weirder, climbing in a climbing wall when I was 12 with a load of men than it is to just go to the crag with a load of men. That's um, so funny. Because, <laughs> you know, because I was younger. No, like, I just like that phrase, a load of men. <laughs> 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 All right. <laughs> I mean, maybe uh-huh. Americans don't say the word load. No, no, I just, we don't really, but <laughs> okay. it, it's just funny. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um. All right, well, I guess let me let me walk at it a little bit differently then. You know, there's uh, I sort of read in kind of doing my 10 minutes of research, th- there is some notoriety that's come from you, you know, at times being the first woman to climb certain mm-hmm. routes or the hardest, I read something about it being the hardest trad route ever. So there, I mean, there is a sort of distinction made. Do you think that's an important distinction um, in terms of, of the way things are approached there? Or do you think that's another piece of media that's, maybe not that relevant well i don't know i kind of like to divide my climbing into like my personal climbing and my career Mm -hmm. and i think whatever i do that's unique for a woman matters a lot for my career because i mean this is a whole other ball game if we start getting into it but sponsors don't sponsor the best climbers Mm because they'd all be men they sponsor men and women, right? Sure. And women need role models and people to look up to, and mm-hmm. and um, so like they're going to sponsor women. So I think like whether you know I was I was the third person to do that route that's in the film. Okay. Third person, male or female. Right. And so like in my personal climbing, that's probably what I'll look to. I'm like, oh, only a few other people have done this route. It's kind of cool that like you know I'm doing some of the hardest routes in the country, or whatever, man, male or female, mm-hmm. I, that doesn't enter my mind. But like in terms of my career, I have to kind of play up the I'm the first British woman to climb me nine or whatever. Sure. I have to play that up because that's my job. Right. I don't mean I don't play it up, but it's like well, that's what it I was matters, gonna say. I mean, you, you just know? let yeah, you let other people play it. Up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's easy yeah. enough. But yeah. yeah. And it was weird when I did it because I didn't really think it would be as big a deal as it, as it, as it was. Mm-hmm. But in the UK, everyone thought it was. Okay. And, I didn't, and this yeah. is the the route in the film. Yeah. And that was the ascent. Though it actually got filmed. Yeah. No. Oh, okay. <laughs> did you have to climb it again? Yeah, I climbed it again, yeah. <laughs> in sections. Oh, okay. And it was actually like but still way, scary sca- sections. way scarier yeah. than in real, when I did it. I actually did it like a few years ago. Sure. Okay. And, um, so like Josh and Brett came over and filmed me on it and I like over four days I climbed on it like every day. And, um, because the thing is like when you climb 
um, like when I actually climbed it in 2012 or 11, 11, I really wanted to do the route. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't scared because that like was overcame my fear. But then when I had to film it, I was like, I've already done this route. I don't want to go back on right. it. <laughs> and so it was like, it was really scary. Because mm -hmm. you just don't have the ulterior motive of like sure. sending the route. Of getting this, I mean, the mental preparation, <laughs> what you'd put into thinking about it. And that's all been released. Like it's gone. Yeah. yeah. And then also like, you know, when you like go back on it on top rope and work out the gear or mm -hmm. work out the moves again, you're like, oh, I don't really need to focus that much on working it out because I'm only just doing it for the film. And then you get on and you're like, oh, God, Maybe I should have worked it out. It out. <laughs> All right. So as another kind of aside, I've always kind of wanted to ask, ask somebody this because you see these films, whether it's people free soloing or, or something like that, where you're you're climbing on something. Um, that's dangerous. I mean, I, you know, I didn't know whether it was the actual ascent, mm -hmm. although, you know, I should know better because I know how films are yeah. made, but still, I mean, I don't know. Did you, did you get a feeling there was any sort of trepidation among the crew? Like, or did they, or they were just like, ah, you know, she's fine. She knows what it's doing. Cause I've always wondered like the guy with the camera, I mean, what if they, you know, the famous little slip in the Honold movie that everybody remembers, like, what are you going to film if something goes wrong? Like, yeah, I mean, I mean, were they taking this really? Were they taking it seriously enough for you, or were did, did I mean, were you happy with how it all went down in terms of that? I think there was one section that I didn't reclimb because I was like, mm, it's a little bit scary. Sure, um, and rather not do it again. And it wasn't necessary for the film because it's a really I mean, long route, and you can't have every move in it anyway. And yeah, they're all they like, it's in your contract. You have to do it. You sign this piece of paper. No. They're super, they're super wary of it. Oh, um, good. I mean, I guess this is more a question for them. Um, but they're like, don't do anything that you're not comfortable with. But it's, it's always difficult. It's always a conflict because mm. I wouldn't be there otherwise. Right. Yeah. I, you wouldn't just I wouldn't go have just gone and climbed the, the route again for, yeah. for no reason. Right. Um, so there's always an issue because yeah, you wouldn't be there otherwise. But they're usually, like, really considerate and nice about it. Well, I'm going to ask you a question that, that usually doesn't work very well um, when I ask climbers this. But, uh, you know, in terms of your ability to deal with fear, you know, you are somewhat exceptional in that, in climbing. I think that's, you know, there is a big dividing line in, in, in climbing about most people don't climb scary routes. And as we get into sort of scary climbing, it becomes less and less people. So is there, do you think there's something different about you in terms of the way you deal with fear? Um, do you think it's innate or is it something that you've been able to work on? And, and in other words, is there sort of a method to it? Do you have, or is it just something you found yourself able to do? Well, firstly, like I don't actually consider myself as like an especially brave person. Okay. And I'm certainly not a reckless person. Like, you know, a lot of these grit routes you see people doing and they're like at their limit and they're like, they will like at least break their legs if they fall kind of thing. I'm not, I don't like do that that much. Like when I'm on the grit, I like mostly go bouldering. Mm -hmm. But like, I think I'm probably quite good at dealing with irrational fear. So like, you know how you go to the sport crag and 
you can tell that someone's scared, even when they're like only like half a meter above their belt or something,、mm-hmm. and they play it up as like. Oh, I wasn't strong enough on that move, or I was getting pumped. But really, they were just scared to go higher above the ball. Like I'm really good at like seeing that in myself if I have ever have it, and like dealing with it. I don't know if I ever think that I'm like scared of taking a big whip or whatever. Then I can like do some mental training. I can just make. I can try and make myself jump off stuff or fall off stuff. And then just habitually, you just get better dealing with that. And then sometimes, like if something is actually quite scary, like say you're on on sighting a route and you've put some gear in and you don't quite trust it, but you're like at your limit and you sometimes I can just switch off and just do it. But I think that's a slightly different thing.、Mm-hmm. That's more like you're just totally lost in the moment, and it's maybe something that anyone could do. Given the right circumstances,、But、yeah, I think it's you know it's just like I think climbers get totally bogged down in the physical aspect of climbing and never pay attention to the mental side of climbing. I mean, how many books and blogs is there about fingerboarding, about w- your weight or like like endurance training or something? And there's hardly anything about how to deal with like falling off down the cl- climbing gym.、Mm-hmm. <laughs> But、it's like it's such a bigger hindrance to performance than like whether you can hang on a mono with one finger. I think people should like pay more attention to it. <laughs> no, I I agree a hundred percent. I mean, you, what you said about about being able to see someone who's scared, sport climbing, even you know、yeah. you know when they're not. Well, you can watch their movement change、mm-hmm. as soon as their feet go above the bowl. Yeah, you know, and and yeah, so it's some mental block is a lot is is. Keeping them from sort of the threshold of what they can do physically, but really, I mean, that's always been the game in trad climbing. Whether it's it's specifically run out trad climbing, but also, you know, we always talk about how it's you can place a perfectly good. Most people, I'll say this: most people can place a perfectly good cam or nut that they know is perfectly good in perfectly good rock, but they're still not quite as confident as if they had just clipped that bolt. You know they're they're running through the the scenarios of when those things come out. So it's like clearly the game is there. I mean, you know, I, I've read the Rock Warriors Way, Arno Ilner's book. I've read it, which、yeah. is is really I think dealing with、mm-hmm. that. And, and maybe he is when you're saying there's not many blogs or books out there or whatever.、Mm-hmm. I guess his is probably the most the famous. Biggest, yeah. yeah, you know. But I think that's why it's you know when I talk about trad climbing. Versus climbing on bolts, you know that's really why it's so much more interesting. Yeah, it is more interesting, but like you know, I think the problem in the UK it might might not be as big a problem in the US, but is like in the UK there's still this mentality that I guess is passed on from like way back in the day that like the trad climber doesn't fall. They go out and they don't really push themselves ever because. If you fall off, you know you're not you're not supposed to fall off.、Mm-hmm. But like the equipment works, right? Like you can take massive whips onto to nuts and to cams, and it does work. But just people have a mental block about it, and they don't push themselves, and they, you know, they like carefully lower onto the cam or the nut or whatever, even when they know it's good. Sure. And if they just get out of that mentality and start taking falls. Then falling onto good cams and good wires becomes just as natural as falling、sure. onto a bolt becomes. 
Yeah, I mean, that what you were saying about the UK maybe having a bigger problem with that, perhaps because, again, it's still steeped in that more so, but I think we brought that over. I mean, yeah. that was the, that was definitely has been the, was ethic in the 70s here. And, and every time you see a revolution in free climbing, whether it was here in the, in the, in the 70s, I mean, really, in terms of grades anyway, it was when people started to, to be willing to take falls for a number of reasons, you know, including just, just deciding it wasn't cheating, you know. Yeah. I mean, half the guys that wouldn't fall in the 70s it had nothing to do with their gear not being good. They were... They weren't, you know. They thought it was cheating, like hang dogging yeah. was was a sin, you know. But, but that's also to do with, you know, if 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 the progression of the sport and harder climbing are the same thing, you know, with with these guys that are playing a different game, maybe that's their game. I don't ever want to fall ever in my entire life, you know. I'm gonna just like I'm never gonna go to the grit and top rope, you know. This mm-hmm. is my game. I'm gonna play until I'm until I can't get out of the off my couch anymore. You know, I win if in 40 years I never fall on the rope. I mean, who knows? It's boring. Yeah. Because you can't climb anything. For them. For now. Stuff to do. It's true. Yeah. That's, that's, well, they don't mind, I'm sure, doing the same routes over and over and over again. So, you know, there was a quote that I read, uh, that quote unquote, that you are the next generation of climbing. Have you ever read that? No. Yeah. That was a quote, but, you know, that's, that's a little bit cliche. But a question I have for you is like, do you think that you're bringing something at all to the sport that is maybe new or, or, you know, do you feel like what you do and the way you approach climbing is, is progressing the sport or do you think it will in the future or are you just another, like, uh, another person out there trying to get, get your personal goals done? Um, I think if I am bringing anything new to the table, which I can't actually think of what it would be. Um, it's not intentional. I uh-huh. mean, I don't want to sound selfish, but um, I just like going climbing, and climbing is like a massively personal thing. And obviously, I have my career as a, as as a professional climber as well. But um, I just I'm just going climbing, mm-hmm. and um, I don't I don't read into it any more than that. Um, you know, I'll get, I'll get like messages over Facebook or emails or whatever. And they say like, oh, you're really inspiring. And so, you know, that's probably a nice thing. And maybe like young women might feel themselves more able to go into the world of trad or whatever after seeing me do stuff. But other than that, I I can't think of anything. So you're approaching this track climbing. You're obviously not 24 hours a day climbing scary routes you even just said like mm-hmm. mostly you just go bouldering at the grit but in terms of um when you do find a route like that like what was the name of the route you did um once that we were talking about earlier once upon a time in the southwest okay when you do sort of find a route like that can you sort of explain what it might be about something like that that grabs you and then sort of the process of motivating yourself to climb something like that uh, yeah i mean <laughs> The routes that I've done that are like that have just, in my mind, have just been really cool routes. Mm-hmm. Like the um, Once Upon a Time in the Southwest is on this like really amazing wall, and um, it's like a really clean face, and it's really intimidating. And you look at it and you think, "Wow, it would be amazing to be on that wall." It's like looking up at El Cap and thinking, "I really want to be climbing mm-hmm. on that piece of rock." 
And so then, yeah, you, that's the inspiration. You just then you just go and do it. <laughs> so I, a lot of times, even when I'm just red pointing a sport route, like I'll fall asleep thinking about the moves or something like that. Like, do you end up in a place where you're obsessing about it at all, or do you? You know, when you, when your approach gets gets close to wanting to climb one of these these routes, I mean, are you able just to be like, yeah, it's just another climb, or do you do yeah. I imagine you sort of like with your eyes wide open in the middle of the night, like thinking about the moves, um, or is it somewhere in between? Somewhere in between, probably. I do get like a little bit stressed sometimes, like when I really want to do something and say like there's weather coming or I have to leave a place, or like the most stressful thing is like big wall free climbing. Because, like, we only have a num- certain number of days of food and water and mm-hmm. you're given this limited time and you just, like, have to perform. And then you're like, oh, you go to sleep, like, oh, God, I've got, like, two more Crooks pitches. Can I do them? Your um, hands are throbbing. and yeah. yeah. And that's what's so cool about big wall free climbing. But, yeah, I can, I can be a little bit obsessed. Mm-hmm. But I think the more you climb and the more you realize that this is just another route and that it's just it's just getting older in general as well, isn't it? Like the small things you realize in the grand picture of your life don't matter as much. It's like just a route. You can, like, let it go if you have to. And, like, in a year's time, you probably forget about it. Mm-hmm. I try not to get too worried about it. Yeah, but aren't you losing your edge? <laughs> I'm not as bothered about that as Alex or <laughs> I guess the reason why I'm probably never going to be the best climber in the world is that I'm happy to not be the best climber in the world. Okay. As yeah. long as I'm still trying routes that are hard for me mm-hmm. and I'm still having fun, then that's fine. And like I always want to be pushing myself. Mm-hmm. And hopefully if I push myself, then, then I'll do cool things. Sure. But like I'm not bothered about being the best person in the world. Mm-hmm. I think it's better to be happy and have fun than to be the best. So speaking of that, and and you've been talking a little bit about your career, you've had these opportunities to do a lot of traveling and and climbing all over the world in the last few years, uh, which, you know, it can be done without a sponsorship, but um, it's certainly nice to have, have, you know, some plane tickets getting paid for and things like that. Can you sort of point to one of these trips or a couple of these trips that uh, you remember as being, you know, extra special or extra eye-opening in a way that maybe changed you for the better? So, yeah, I'm, I'm sponsored by the North Face, mm-hmm. and um, they're pretty big on, like, expeditions, on the athletes going away together and either doing, like, new routing or sometimes it's groundbreaking stuff, but most of the time it's about more about exploration and adventure. And um, they're, they're cool trips because they usually, I think... When you become a full-time climber, you're like, so, like, what's my next goal? How hard am I going to climb? Da, 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 da. But these trips are more about, like, okay, let's go and find a cool place. And so it's not so, like, performance-orientated mm-hmm. a lot of the time. Um, so, like, last year, 2012, um, I went to Oman, and uh, that was a really cool trip. We, like... The the other thing about it is, like, you do all these things that you wouldn't do normally. So, like, we were on a catamaran in the Gulf of Oman. Mm-hmm. And, like, there's no way I could, like, would have the means to, mm-hmm. like, rent a catamaran and, like, sail around the Gulf of Oman. 
and it was it was a really cool adventure. We just sailed around like picking <coughs> cliffs to climb and uh, climbing out the boat and catching fish and it was it was really fun. It was a really good trip. What was your how was your interface with uh, the culture in Oman? It was really nice, actually, really nice culture. Everyone was really chilled and relaxed, and um, yeah, it's an Islamic country, but um, I think they're a lot more like chilled out and open than a lot of other Islamic countries. Yeah, everyone, everyone was really nice. It was cool. Yeah. So it's sort of refreshing to hear you kind of uh, talk about your your professional life, your personal life. What does that feel like, like gaining notoriety um, in sort of the greater climbing world, even though, you know, compared to sort of movie star notoriety, it's nothing. But, you know, how comfortable are you sort of with being that like slightly celebrity end of, of Hazel Finlay? Uh, it's, it's really weird. It's really strange. <laughs> um, yeah, it's sometimes like... I still don't like quite believe it, uh-huh. like, especially with the real rock film coming out. It, it's like getting worse or better, depending on <laughs> how you look at it. Yeah, like people like in the stick. Because the thing is, is in the UK, is that people are much more reserved, mm-hmm. and like even though we have a celebrity culture um, in the climbing world, especially. It's like sometimes I've been at the crag and I could sort of tell that maybe someone knew who I was. But they'd never come up and say anything. Sure. They're super reserved. And um, it's nice, you know, it's just like... (laughs) It's not some podcaster like, "Uh, hey, uh, you've never heard of me, but... (laughs) No, that's that's different altogether. Um, that, That side of things is like, that's just my job. Like, I guess the cool thing about, like, it being your job is that it doesn't... Like, your ego or any of that just doesn't come into it. You know, like, when you ask, do you want to be on this podcast? Like, it's my job. The North Face doesn't buy me plane tickets for me to say no. Right. You know? (laughs) I wouldn't be doing my job if I said no. Gotcha. So unless I really couldn't do it for whatever reason. It had nothing to do with how charming I am. Oh, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) Um. So yeah, it's, it's just your job. Like you answer all your emails, you say yes to any media mm-hmm. obligations. That's just what you do, right? Um, but the whole like being like a mini celebrity is like a really strange thing. I still don't really like if someone asks like comes up to me. I'm all, I'm still awkward. Sure, I don't know how to deal with it very well. I don't think uh, I don't think you'd be yourself if you were. I mean, if you got so slick that you just whipped out like a glossy eight by ten when everybody walked up, like you had a whole stack of them in your pack or something. Like, yeah, sure. Do you want me to sign a picture? I mean, that would get. I think it would, it would actually probably uh, upset the people that came yeah. up and talked. You know, I mean, but I look. You know, I'm friends with Alex, and he has to deal with it all the time, and you can see now that he's like a lot better at it he sure. knows how to deal with it and um and it's almost like a natural thing because it happens every day it's like oh yeah someone else has recognized him and telling him how amazing he is well you know i've i've said this over and over again um but one of the interesting things about climbing is in its little celebrity world we we aren't distanced from the folks that we we sort of admire like I can climb at the same cliff as you, 
and, uh, you know, climb on your warm-ups or whatever. And so it's like in a lot of celebrity cultures, you can't do that. You know, you can't hang out with those people. So I think the people who approach you probably, you know, they've seen your the film, which is very personal, you know, and I think it it when you're done watching that movie, it's like whether it's it's a good honest depiction or not we feel like oh yeah she's she's just a normal girl and really cool and someone i could just come up and say hello to you know and, and i then think they say hi and i'm like oh uh, yeah but but again like i think that fits with that image like you're just a normal person so um yeah. i mean i think with this show it's always i i ask most of the sponsored or professional climbers about this this like kind of clashing of the world's only because, like I said, it seems as though there can be a backlash against it in climbing because mm-hmm. we have these like traditional values about how a personal pursuit it is. And I think a lot of people can't quite figure it out in their head which one they want out of it. You know, do we want our climbers to be accessible and therefore sponsored climbers? Or is that going to make us upset because they're they're you know supposedly not climbing for themselves or whatever it happens yeah. to be? But have you felt at all any of that? I mean, as you go back into this very you know steeped in tradition United Kingdom climbing scene, you know how how has that been re- received there? Are you is everybody totally down with it? The the kind of return of the of the prodigal daughter. Um. It's, the UK is definitely worse for the whole like um, um, bashing on the sponsored climber. Mm-hmm. Um, I know there's been like a few professional climbers in the UK that, since becoming professional, haven't really um, have gone down in public opinion. Um, and I don't know. It's it's hard to tell whether like that's happened to me or not. <laughs> You know, maybe I'll, I'll read the forums and let you know. How's yeah, exactly. <laughs> like maybe the the like crew in Sheffield because Sheffield's like the boulder of sure um, of the US, and um, yeah, maybe they're all bitching about me. Like she sold out, da, 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 da. but um, I think you know if you just keep the attitude of like whatever, it doesn't matter. Like you know, everyone's got to make their money. Everyone's got to have a job, mm-hmm. and um. I'm the one who gets to go climbing all the time. So that's the price I, I sure. pay. I'm just doing my best. Like, I'm trying to, like, still love climbing for the same reasons I loved climbing before I was professional mm-hmm. and still trying to be the same person and, and all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. And um, this isn't, like, baseball or anything. It's not basketball. I'm not, like, in some massive mansion or anything. Right. I'm still, like, living in the dirt in Indian Creek. Right. <laughs> Or maybe a it's collapsed like, tent that's that's underneath a foot of snow right now. Yeah, exactly. Like all my stuff's so- soaked, and it's n- it's not like I'm in a new world. Mm-hmm. It's still the same world. I just get to do it all the time instead of going home and working down the climbing gym sure. for a few months to to fund money for my next trip. Right. And so that's that's the amazing part. Awesome. Um. And then obviously there's like stuff that I have to do in, in return. You know. I think a lot of people think that stuff comes for free. It, basically, I think people who don't either are jealous or they don't really understand the situation or just haven't thought enough about it. Because a lot of people, they either bitch about the fact that 
you get to go climbing all the time and you don't do anything on the face <laughs> of it, you know. <laughs> They're like, you know, she just gets everything for free. She doesn't do anything. She just goes climbing. Duh, duh. But then they'll, like, forget about what they've just said and start bitching about how you're always on Facebook and doing your social media stuff mm-hmm. and that like, you're on this interview and doing that and and have to go to a talk and talk about yourself and that you're a sellout and da 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 It's like, well, that's the price I paid for going right. and climbing all the time. Right. Like, you just don't get anything for free. Right. Um, so, yeah, that's just the way it is. And if people don't understand it, then... Whatever, it doesn't matter. <laughs> so uh, other than this job that you have, um, what do you do on a rest day? What's your other interest? Um, Needlepoint, macrame, that kind of thing. What's that? Oh, these are your interests. <laughs> yeah, these are mine. Yeah. Oh, needlepoint, that's yeah. knitting. Yeah. No, I usually have enough to fill my time with. Like, I really like reading and... Um, and uh, like just normal stuff that everyone likes, like watching films and going running and reading and that kind of thing. And I don't, I'm no, don't really get bored. I always have something to do, but I don't have any other sports that I like really. I'm kind of, I've chosen climbing. Climbing's mm-hmm. the one. Turns All right, what do you got? Uh, what do you got going on? What's the next uh, next thing that you're up to in the coming months? So I'm going to Patagonia in a few weeks. So, yeah, probably going to be sat in a tent <laughs> in the snow again. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I've always wanted to go to Patagonia, so I'm really excited. Um, I think it could, you know, if we get unlucky with the weather, then it could end up being a lot of staying around. Sure. Um, so this is, tra- we're training for that right now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> this will serve you yeah. well, these four or five rainy days in Moab. Yeah. You'll be just like, I got this. No yeah. problem. I sat in Moab for five <laughs> days. Who are you climbing with down there? Um, a bunch of different people. A lot of there's a lot of British people over there okay. at the moment, and then hopefully, um, Sean Villanueva or Driscoll might come out mm-hmm. in January, and um, hopefully we can climb together then. Maybe mention the show to him. Uh, yeah, I will. Yeah. <laughs> um, you could just pop down and yeah, do just, a quick podcast. Right, I'll just uh, take some of the sponsorship money and buy a plane ticket. <laughs> yeah. What's your skill set on the snow and ice? Um, I've climbed in the Alps quite a bit. Oh, okay. Um, I've done sort of like casual alpine climbing. You know, I'm not I'm not really that interested in the whole like ice climbing, mixed climbing, sure. like like pushing myself on it. I'm, I like to be able to like feel the rock under my skin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like free climbing. I don't like bashing around metal objects. Um, but I do want to get better at those things so that I have the skill set to rock climb in the mountains. Sure. Because the mountains are cool. I, I really love being in the mountains. It's nice to be up high and in wild places. And yeah, so if I can just get the skill set so I can go to those places, then I'll be happy. All right. Patagonia is one of those places. Cool. Well, good luck. Thanks. And um, that's about it. That's all I got for you. So okay. um, I totally appreciate you coming in to the uh, the somewhat chilly uh, mobile studio here in Moab under actually about four inches of snow. But uh, anyway, thanks again, Hazel. No worries. Thanks a lot.
Lewis to be a 45-year-old rock and roller farting around from people that's, less than that's so your true. age, so true, yeah. cranking out some kind of mediocre head-banging bullshit, you know, yeah. that we've forgotten. That we've been, it's beneath us. That's, that's right. right. Who wants that's to see Absolutely them? right. Not I mean, me. we can take all those projects that we thought, you know, we didn't have time oh, for. Oh, there's dozens. There's so you many know, we didn't have time for them because of tap and, and bring them back what to life, maybe. Do you remember what we were... Do you remember the at the, Luton, at the Luton Palace, we were yes. talking about a rock musical based on the life of Jack the Ripper. Yeah. Right. Saucy Jack. Saucy Jack. Saucy Now's Jack. the time to do you're that. You're a naughty one. Saucy, Saucy Jack. Jack. You're a haughty one. Saucy Jack. 